0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 John. 2 John, we are uh, making our way through the letters of the Apostle John. We concluded last week with 1 John. Uh, This week we will begin in 2 John. It will probably take us two lessons uh, for 2 John. What I hope to do tonight is is an introduction and a few verse study into the book, and then Lord willing, next week we will uh, conclude Second John and then move on into Third John. So we um, have been making our way through these letters. I uh, have said many times before, I hope you, you see um, this kind of study, how important it is and how um, encouraging it can be um, to study um, a series of books like this, really verse by verse, uh, more or less, in this kind of study. And we see the richness of the text that's there. Uh, We see see how um, every word, every word of God's word is so important. And we really get a feeling for uh, a better appreciation, maybe we should say, in this type of study and looking at some of the things around it. Um, who wrote it, it, who it was written to, the time of the writing, and those kind of things. So that's what we're going to look at tonight to continue in our appreciation um, of these letters. And tonight we're going to be looking at, um, as I mentioned, an introduction to this letter and then the first few um, verses which serve as the greeting for the letter. So uh, let's talk about a, a couple of things as we get started. And first, let's see uh, some general things um, that are taking place in the history of the church at this time. Um, first of all, let's understand that uh, in the first century, after um, our Lord's death, and the church was established there in Acts chapter 2, uh, the church underwent tremendous growth uh, in the first century. And there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, obviously, the reasons are there because this was God's plan. This was God's will for how the, um, the church would be established and how it would grow, how the, the gospel would go forth. And so it, 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 on that side of it, this is God's will that's being done. Um, and so the church rose very quickly for, the, for those reasons that are there. But there's a couple of um, uh, mechanical things, if you will, that helped to... Um, grow the church. First of all, let's look at a couple of verses here about the growth of the church. Look there in Colossians chapter 1. Just to see, this is um, uh, some other writings that that show us about the, the spread of the gospel, the growth of the church. In Colossians 1, verse 5 and 6, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. Now this is, of course, Paul speaking to the Christians at Colossae. And he's telling them these things. Um, Just as in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing, and also since you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. So just a, a little snapshot there of understanding that Um, The gospel has been heard, it's going forth, and it's being preached throughout the whole world. If you look over in verse 23 of of Colossians 1, it says, Indeed, if you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And If we also look over in Jude's writing, in uh, Jude verse 3, A similar statement is made here about the spread of the gospel and the rise of the church. In Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So this first century is a time of uh, exponential growth of Christianity, which is understandable. Um, This is God's plan Jesus commissioned his apostles to go into all the world and preach. And so this has given rise um, to the church and this tremendous growth in the first century. Um, But there are several other factors that that account for that. Um, As I said, some of the administrative, mechanical kind of things that we can kind of see. Uh, First of all, let's understand that, that Christians were providing... Uh, lodging for each other. There was hospitality being practiced. Look over in Philemon, uh, verse 22. It's Paul here writing to Philemon um, on behalf of Onesimus. We know the story there, the, the Onesimus the slave. Philemon is his, uh, his, his owner and he's writing to him and asking him to release him. Um, there's a kind affection that that Paul shows towards Philemon but here in verse 22 it says and at the same time also prepare for me a lodging for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you so one of the things that helps spread uh, Christianity and and the, the growth of the church or Christians are, are looking out for each other in, in this way providing lodging for each other so that this is how the word is going forth remember um, no internet right? No email, no text messaging, no electronic signatures, right? It's all being word of mouth. Things are being written down and passed around, but for the most part, it's these men traveling and going to different places and preaching the word of God. So Christians are being encouraged to provide lodging uh, for each other as that is going about. Um, Similarly, um, Paul uh, encourages that teachers um, need to be provided for. Look over in Galatians chapter 6. So there's a lodging that needs to be done. The hospitality needs to be practiced. And those who are carrying forth the message of the gospel, Paul is encouraging brethren to, to we need to look out for these people. We need to encourage them and provide for them. Galatians 6 and verse 6, and it says, And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So, here's the sharing, here's the providing for um, the teachers, those who are being taught provide for those who are teaching and in a a similar way um, just in general the traveling missionaries um, they're encouraged to be be taken care of in John's third letter, look over in 3 John here's kind of a summation of what we're talking about and this is uh, John's writing of this in Third John beginning of verse 5 it says beloved you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially, especially when they are strangers and they bear witness to your love before the church and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God so here's a, this kind of in more detail and how this should be accomplished verse 7 for they went out for the sake of the, of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So here are some reasons why uh, the church is growing. Not only is it because of the commission that was given to the apostles, but now they're taking that and, and setting up some, uh, some things along the way, some administrative things, uh, lodging and, and hospitality and providing for, so that the gospel can continue to go forward. So that kind of sets the stage for what John's going to address in this second letter, because uh, among the good teachers that we're going about and teaching the word of God, there's also the false teachers. And this is one of the reasons for John's letters, and we've looked at it quite extensively in 1 John, and we'll look at it also in Second and 3 John. Most every one of the writers of the New Testament uh, in one way or another address the idea that there's false teachers out there and it needs to be dealt with. You need to be wary of them. So among the good teachers, there are false ones too. And so as we mentioned, 2 John is written uh, as a warning about this. As the hospitality is being practiced and you're letting these men come into your home, you need to be careful and make sure that those false teachers aren't given the same level of hospitality, aren't abided with. And so we'll talk more about that as we go forward. But That kind of sets the stage for um, uh, what John is writing about. And one of the reasons for this letter is to, is to warn about the false teachers and how they should be treated. Um, as we've m- been saying all along, the, the authorship of 2 John is the Apostle John. He describes himself there in verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady. So um, while we don't have a direct reference to John himself, uh, what we do have is some internal and some external evidence that helps us to attribute the writing of this letter to the Apostle John. The internals among them are uh, similar language uh, in his gospel and his first letter. So we read here and people much more scholarly than me um, link the two just by the style of the writing and, and, and something that we can see, even I can see pretty, pretty clearly, is John's use of the word antichrist. John is the only writer that uses uh, that term and he uses it in 1st John and also in 2nd John so we can kind of um, make that connection uh, to the authorship just within these two letters and, and John's use of that word, Antichrist. That helps us place uh, or helps us assign authorship to who this is. So, the similar language to his gospel and, and the, the first letter, some external things that we can look at. Irenaeus um, identifies and attributes this letter to John. Now, who was Irenaeus? Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a disciple of John and this is from secular history, this is from worldly history but it's accurate. And we can take that um, for what it's worth um, in that this, this man twice removed from John only attributes this writing to John so there's some worldly, secular history that helps us to understand that and that can be very beneficial to us. So, through this and other things, we we attribute this writing to John, the apostle. Um, His audience, who he's writing to, if you look there in verse 1, it says, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. So, his direct audience, this direct recipient of this letter is the chosen lady and her children. Now, there's been some speculation about what does that mean? What does that mean? the chosen lady and her children. And some of the speculation says that this is actually um, a reference to the church. Um, Church in general, a specific church. uh, Hard to tell within within all that, Um, but some say that, or some hold that this is just language that that, uh, describes uh, a church that he's writing to. Well, maybe maybe. But I think that there's really internal evidence and the best evidence that he is writing to a lady and her children. Look in verse uh, 4 and 5. So remember that this is a letter. Remember this, um, much of the New Testament, what we're reading are indeed letters. This is, we're reading their mail. So if you're going to read this and, and approach it as a letter being written to someone, I think you kind of get the, the tone of it a little bit better in seeing. In verse 4, John writes, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you as a new commandment, but the one which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. Now doesn't that sound like a personal letter that's being written? It does to me. And if you look over in verse 12 and 13, it says, Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with, with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and to speak face to face your, that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. To me, that sounds like personal uh, addresses to this lady, to her children, uh, the children of your chosen sister. To me, that sounds like he's just writing to people he knows, a family that he knows. Um, and there's a guiding principle in all this, and, and that is, this is kind of a good rule of thumb, is when you're reading Scripture, is unless there's a, a reason otherwise, um, you should take scripture, scripture literally. Now, again, that doesn't hold up in a lot of things. In prophecy, language that is used there, um, you can't take those things literally. When Jesus uses... Um, parables there's lots of details in the parable that we don't take literally we take the meaning of the parable that's the most important part of the parable but unless like i said this is kind of a rule of thumb unless there's a, a, another reason for it you should just take scripture for what it says literally so when john writes to the chosen lady and her children that ought to be good enough that ought to be good enough so take it for that Place and date. It's probably written from Ephesus uh, somewhere between 85 and 95 AD. Now this is very, very late in the first century. This is some of the last writings. I believe um, that Revelation was written somewhere around 96 AD. I hold to the later date of of the authorship of Revelation. So we're seeing some of the very last writings of the New Testament. This makes John a pretty old fella at this point. Um, It seems that he was probably the youngest apostle. So if we were to say maybe he was 20 years old, just round numbers, and I'm I'm no scholar on this. At the time when Jesus' ministry was going on, around A.D. 30, so now we're around A.D. 90. we'll, We'll split the difference there. That's 60 years plus the 20 years old he was, so he's around 80 years old somewhere around there when he's writing these letters. Helps us understand why he calls himself the elder. <laughs> that helps us understand that, doesn't it? Because um, he indeed is elderly. So um, that's probably, um, probably from Ephesus, probably around this date. Um, we can narrow that down pretty closely. So that helps us to understand again, what has taken place. So John is writing uh, some of these last things that will be written, some of the last instructions that are going to be given uh, as far as the, the written word uh, that are going to be laid down. And of course after this will be the third letter that John will write and then his, his book of Revelation. So that kind of places uh, the writing here and helps us to to get an idea that this is an old man um, who is very knowledgeable, not only from uh, being endowed with the Holy Spirit and being led into all truth, as Jesus promised his apostles they would be, but now he's lived a long life. And so he has some, some, uh, some distance and some time, some reflection time to look at, to see, and, and that informs his writing. And as we'll talk about in a minute here, some of the themes for the book, that's important in in saying that here I am, the elder. And and over in 1 John, we made reference to how he addresses them as little children. There's that tender affection that he addresses his audience with. And so that helps us to understand this relationship that he has with his audience here that he's writing to. So let's look at... uh, a few verses. First of all, what I'd like to do is, uh, since it's only 13 verses, I'd like to read the entire letter. So if you have your Bibles there open, please follow along with me. We're going to read the whole letter, and then we're going to come back and look at really the first three verses for tonight and, and, and see some things from the, the greeting section. So let's begin here in Second John, beginning in verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth... And not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you might not lose what we have accomplished. But that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and to speak face to face, that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. So let's go back and look um, at a couple of things. First of all, the purpose of the letter. A couple of things that we can look at. The letter is written, one, to encourage brotherly love, as we've just heard from the reading. And also, as we've made allusion to, is to warn them against supporting false, false teachers. So there's a warning in here about not receiving that one into your home. So there's the brotherly love, the exhortation, and then there's the admonition. There's the warning about not letting, not supporting these false teachers. We look at, just quickly, an outline of how the book might break down. Verses 1 through 3, we read there the greeting. John identifies himself as the elder, who it's written to, those kind of things in the first three verses. And then verses 4 through 6, there's the exhortation to walk in truth and love. That's the encouragement section of the the writing. And then verses 7 through 11, there's the warning. There's the warning not to support false teachers. And then the last couple of verses there are some concluding remarks. Not a long letter, obviously, easy to to break it down and to see what's going on here, but the purpose of the letter is very important, to encourage brotherly love and to warn uh, his readers against these false teachers. So let's look at a few verses here. Um, Verse 1, as we mentioned, that John identifies himself as the elder and he writes to a family that he loves. He writes to a family that he loves. He says, to the elder, to the chosen lady and her her children, whom I love in the truth. Now, we've been talking um, this morning and other times about the kind of love, the Greek word that is being uh, transcribed here as love. And in this case, it is the word agape. And it is that love, that concerned, that benevolent love, the kind of love that um, you would show someone as in, looking out for their best interests, looking out for their, for their needs. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. This is the word that's being translate, translated here. And John is writing to this family that he loves, that he has uh, this affection for, but also wants the best for them. That's the kind of love that's, that he is talking about here. And this is the kind of love um, that, that should bind all of us together. That should bind all of us Christians together. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Peter talks about this. And this is um, the way he describes this kind of love that we should have. 1 Peter 1, beginning verse 22, it says, Since you have, an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. So there's the love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. So the love that John is 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 referring to here is, is the love that we have in God, the love that we have for the truth, and that's what binds us together. That's why we can travel around the country or the world and we can find Um, brethren who are are standing for the truth and worshiping God and we automatically have a connection with them. And that connection is through the word of God, through the love that we have of the truth and the love that we have for God. So this is that kind of love that binds us together. So when John is writing to this family that's the kind of love that that he's talking about here. The kind of love that binds us together. In verse 2 he talks about this abiding love. Peter just wrote about it. John writes about it. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Now here's that abiding. The truth abides um, or the truth acts in accordance with us, in us forever. So this abiding is, a, is a going along with, um, being in, um, in step with. So if I am in step with the truth, and Hank is in step with the truth, then together we are in step together. We abide together in the same truth. And that's a wonderful thing that binds us together. So that I can know just by the fact that, of who Hank is, and what he believes, that we have such a a strong connection because we are abiding in the truth. And... um, the wonderful thing about that is that it abides in us forever. As long as we are uh, of, this, of this earth, the truth abides in us. The only thing that, we can, uh, that can separate us is when we choose to abandon that truth. God's truth is forever. If I'm walking in his truth, I can walk in it forever. Only I can take myself out of it. Only I can abandon the truth. God's truth abides forever. Verse 3, there are three things uh, that John mentions here uh, that stem from loving uh, in truth. First of the, those is grace. He says there in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. So the first thing there that stems from loving in the truth is grace. And what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is uh, what God has given to us, something that we don't deserve. All the things that we don't deserve that God has given us. That's God's grace. He also mentions his mercy. Mercy is the other side of grace. Mercy is compassion shown toward the guilty. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve, mercy is not giving us something we do deserve. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we deserve for that? We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But through God's mercy, he has shown compassion towards us in giving us his son so that through him we can have eternal life. Through him we can have redemption of sin. That's mercy. The grace is the gift of his son, giving us something that we don't deserve and then having compassion on us to not... um, take out his vengeance on us because we are guilty that's where he shows his mercy and then the third thing in that list is peace grace mercy and peace peace is that tranquility it's a result of God's grace and mercy because God has given us this and he has um, shown mercy on us because while we were yet sinners Christ died for us because of that we can have peace look over in Philippians chapter 4 This is the kind of peace that we're talking about. And I come here often. Um, We talk about peace. I like these one-stop shops. I look for these throughout Scripture. When you talk about peace, this is a great place to come and understand what it means. In Philippians 4 and verse 7, it says, The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the peace of God. If you come down to verse 9, it says, These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. That's the kind of peace that we're talking about here. The peace of God. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, we have the, 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 the ability to know that kind of peace, which surpasses all understanding, and that's the peace in God. And these things come from the Father, as he says there at the end of verse 3. From God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Son. So there's that connection. There's the linking of the two, of the Father and the Son together. And that's very important in recognizing who Jesus is. Remember, part of the reason John wrote 1 John was to argue against the Gnostics. And there's, there's more of that. In this writing, too, the Gnostics were those who who denied certain things about Jesus Christ, denied who he was, denied his deity. So John, in his writing, reaffirms who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of the Father. And while that sounds simplistic to us, it's very important in understanding who Jesus is. Grace, mercy, peace will be with us from God the Father and from Christ Jesus the Son. There's that linking of them together and showing us the preeminence of who Jesus Christ is. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. There again, truth and love. It's a theme that keeps running through John's writings. We saw it all throughout 1 John. We'll see it in 2 John. We'll see it in 3 John. How important it is, truth and love. How important those things are. Let's stop there for tonight. Lord willing, we will um, look at the remainder of 3 John next week and, and talk in a little bit more depth about this love and the warnings of, that he is writing. I hope that you will continue to be encouraged by this, uh, to see how these instructions are given from an older man who has uh, this view not only being with the Lord during his ministry, but now he has survived these many years and has, has this experience to draw on as he is writing to uh, his audience here. And we have the benefit of being able to read it and read what it, he has to say, and we're encouraged by it. We offer an invitation, uh, as we always do at the end of our time together. If you need the encouragement of the brethren, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.